CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. It's time for another Benny J bonus interview brought to you in part by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. Bonus time of the Ben Drossi Show. As I speak, it's Thursday, December 1st. December! Good God! Time is flying. Time keeps on ticking, ticking into the future. My distinguished guest knows that song because he's a child of the 70s. Thursday, December 1st, 2022. Here, I'm going to give you two headlines. Two headlines to tell you what's in the news today so that if you're listening to this year from now, you know what's in the news. Uh, and two headlines that are relevant to the conversation I'm about to have with my distinguished guest. Uh, so here's a headline from the New York Times. This is why the New York Times, when it comes to political news, uh, is so pathetic. And I say this. I, I say this, again, as a subscriber to the New York Times, a regular reader of the New York Times, a person who really appreciates the New York Times, particularly the business section. The business section is top. And I really learn a lot about capitalism by reading the business section. But their political coverage is so weird. It's just so twisted. It's so like Democrats cringing and in a fetal position under their bed because they're afraid of the dangers that exist out there. So here we go. Abortion clinic divides town headlines. After Roe fell, a sleepy college town in Southern Illinois became a crucial destination for abortion access. Not all of its residents are happy. First of all, they're talking about Carbondale. It's hardly sleepy. It's like one of the most rock and rolling towns in the freaking world. Anybody who knows anything about Illinois knows if you want to have a good time, you go down to Carbondale. There's parties that go around the clock. I went to Carbondale for two weeks in the 70s once. I don't think I ever slept. I was just getting high, drinking, rock and rolling. I mean, sleepy. God damn, New York Times. You don't know any if it's outside of New York, you don't know. Number one, it's like, yeah, oh, there's people who oppose abortion. Whoa, big shock. They want to, they want to get Democrats afraid, like, uh-oh. You secured abortion rights in Illinois. You should be afraid, because here comes MAGA. Man, it's probably a liberal, it's probably a liberal town. Uh, I'm sure, yes, there's people who oppose abortion. There's people who oppose abortion in Chicago. That doesn't mean like Democrats should be afraid. What a dumb headline. Uh, and here's the other one, uh, which were relevant uh, to the conversation about that. This headline is um, from my distinguished guest, uh, favorite uh, columnist, Shia Kapos, political Illinois. <laughs> political Illinois playbook today. And it's an interview with Darren. <laughs> it's an interview. Sorry, folks. That's inside joke. Anyway, an interview with Darren Bailey, who just lost to J.B. Pritzker. Darren Bailey reading the tea leaves as to why he lost. This is going to be, this here's Darren Bailey talking about why he lost. State Senator Darren Bailey got his clock clean uh, in the last election. He's talking about abortion as an issue. All right. So here's uh, 
Here's Darren Bailey's explanation uh, to Shia Kapos as to why he lost when it came uh, the abortion, how it played out. About abortion, not having the funds to explain his abortion views and how they might affect the state or not was also frustrating. Quote, I am pro-life, but I needed to get the message out that Illinois wouldn't see a change in abortion laws, Bailey explained that in interviews, but it didn't resonate because he didn't have the funding to get the message out. Hello, Darren <laughs> Bailey had nothing to do with funding. It was your freaking message. You, <laughs> you wanted to blow up abortion rights laws in Illinois. Everyone knew it. You're trying to walk that fine line like, no, no, really, I don't want to, even though everything I've said in the past leads you to conclude that I want to do that. And now you're trying to like, oh, I couldn't nuance it. That's their favorite word of the day for political uh, managers. I nuance. That's such a joke. Like money had anything to do with that wretched campaign that Darren Bailey just ran on the abortion issue. All right, without further ado, I want to bring on my distinguished guest. Distinguished guest, introduce yourself, because I know you're just chopping at the bit to take it away with this conversation. Go ahead. Hello, Terry Cosgrove, um, president and CEO of Personal Pack for another 30 days. Uh, but so, Benny, great introduction. I have to say, I went to Champaign, and whenever people wanted to party, they went down to Carbondale. And, <laughs> and so, so you're right. You're right about that. And I know people who went to school there. So, uh, so there is a reputation. But in terms of Darren Bailey, I mean, I obviously he's so absurd. He told everyone what his position was. He didn't believe in abortion in cases of rape and incest. I don't know how you explain that anymore. He thought it should be illegal, except in cases of rape and incest. But the the part you missed is how he talked out of both sides of his mouth on the same debate stage within a minute of each other. He said the first thing he would do is he would repeal the Safety Act. And then out of the other side of his mouth, a minute later, he said, oh, as governor, I could have nothing to do with abortion. I mean, it was just, it was such a joke. So the the hypocrisy, the stupidity uh, was was unending. And um, all JB did in, in all his campaign did is just quote Darren Bailey. I mean, that, if you saw JB's ads on TV, it was quoting Jer Darren Bailey saying he thought abortion should be illegal, even in cases of rape and incest. So I don't know what his complaint is. He had plenty of money to get his position out. We were all glad to do it for him. He didn't have to spend any money. <laughs> so all right, we'll get into all that. By the way, it would not be uh, a Terry Cosgrove interview where he, uh, unless he says the part you got wrong or yeah. the part you <laughs> always oh, correcting me. I've known this man. I at least since 1990. I think I actually interviewed you in 89, but whatever. Uh, the first article where I quoted you was apparently 1991. Uh, and in those 30 years, uh, a conversation doesn't go by where Terry Grasgrove doesn't tell me, Ben, what you got wrong or what you don't understand or what, uh, it's just been a long, long But you do the same thing, Ben. We're good for each other there. Yes, we are. Me no. All the time when I miss, when I um, misquote a year or something, you correct me. It comes <laughs> round. It comes round. That's all. <laughs> uh, all right. Let's get down. There's two issues embedded in these uh, stories. One is the New York Times uh, and uh, this attitude of fear. Uh, yeah. Would you address actually the last time you're in the show? So we'll start with uh, the, the, the fear of Democrats. And the New York Times, I know they play to it because it's the clicks they get from Democrats who are so anxiety ridden. 
But I really do believe um, it gets in the well, way of the reporting. It, we'll, we'll talk about this now. So I'll tell you their biggest, you know what their biggest crime was, and I know you're going to appreciate this, is the way they spent nonstop about Hillary's emails in 2016, over and over and over, that her, um, the New York Times, and then Mika and Joe on on um, on whatever their show is, uh, on, I don't on, on MSNBC, all they could do was hammer the emails. And then when the report finally came out and said Hillary did nothing wrong, of course, after they helped, after the New York Times helped elect Trump, um, then that their their story saying oh nothing was found appeared on page 37 when all the emails always appeared on page one so to me i'll never forgive the new york times for that because they were just so um out in left field on all of that as were uh, mika and joe and a bunch of other people in the press well so, so uh, here's my theory and and you tell me what you think about this uh in terms of basically liberal outlets MSNBC is openly liberal. They exist yeah. for liberal okay. Democrats. That's what they're there for. Uh, when liberal outlets go through the pretense of giving credibility to right-wing attacks well beyond uh, the stage where the right-wing attacks have shown, have demonstrated that there's no merit to them. To me, yeah. they're being suckers. They're saps. They're journalistic equivalents of those do-good Democrats in the state of Illinois who talk, they want to see uh, nonpartisan map making because it's the right thing to do. And I think the New York Times is bending over backwards to demonstrate that they're quote unquote fair to the far right, even though the far right despises them and will never acknowledge that the New York Times is bending over backwards. It's a sucker's game that they're playing. And I feel they do it injustice to the readers. That's my point of view, your response. And I think it's, you know, I think the other piece of that, which um, I want, I don't want to say you're missing, but needs to, um, needs to be um, enlarged is there's this both sideness, you know, you can't, you know, it's, it's, it's like going back to Trump's thing about there were good people on both sides. No, there are not, there are not, there's no such thing as a good Nazi. There's no such thing as a good KKK person that hung black people from trees. There are, there's no two sides on that. And, you know, there's, and so, but they bend over backwards and not to call a lie a lie. In fact, it's just recently in the last few years that they start to actually label stuff as there's no evidence, there's, there's no truth to that whatever they're doing, rather than just calling it out as a, as a bald-faced lie. And so I think that's the piece of it too, the two-sidedness and then not calling something out when it is so factually wrong and, and just doesn't exist in reality. But they feel they have to give some credibility to some right-wing craziness just because they said it. And, and But to, to say that both sides did it, like Andrea Mitchell a few weeks ago did, did it on something, I forget what it was, but I thought my head was gonna explode. You know, there were no two sides of this, but she felt she had to bend over backwards to do it. And I know she got a lot of blowback for it and I'm sorry, I can't remember it, but I think the, you know, the both sides do it um, piece is another part of it that they don't handle well. No, false, it's false equivalency. Exactly, uh, false equivalence, thank yeah, you. False equivalency plays out all the time. All right, now let's move over uh, to the Darren Bailey situation because I believe uh, 
embedded in what Darren Bailey uh, said to ProPublica was a reality that he would never acknowledge, but that the Republican Party insiders must know. Because the Republican Party insiders know the game of politics. Uh, and the reality is this, and I'd love for you, you to riff about this. Yeah. The reality is the Republican Party has tied itself to an extremist anti-abortion view that is a loser at the polls. And they mm -hmm. don't know how to divorce themselves from that view. And so from that extreme anti-abortion position, and you had Darren Bailey doing a Facebook message to his listeners in which he said that the uh, abortions committed in this country since Roe was legalized was worse than what the Nazis did to the Jews. And now he's trying to say, if I only had more time or more money, I could have really presented my point of view on this issue. That's your point of view. I make fun of voters all the time, but they're smart enough to know what your point of view is on abortion. Terry, I believe that this issue, uh, this, this inability of the Republicans to do, cut themselves free from the extremists on the issue of abortion is going to haunt them for elections to come. Your thoughts? Yeah, but I want to put one other person in the mix of this because I've written a letter now to both the Sun-Times and the Tribune and neither of them has printed, printed it to, I know, but they talk about Jim Durkin being a moderate because he voted for some gun safety stuff and something else. And then his wife wrote an op-ed yesterday or the day before. I forget if, if, if the Tribune or Sun-Times handled it. But no one mentions that this man is 100% anti-choice. He wants to make abortion illegal, even in cases of rape and incest. He has a record in the Illinois General Assembly of voting to make abortion illegal. So it's not just... Um, it's not just conjecture or he's endorsed by the same people that Darren Bailey is, but the press doesn't touch it. They're all uh, they're all writing that, oh, poor Jim Durkin is being pushed out of the pushed out of the party because he's he's a moderate. He's not a moderate. And it's the abortion issue. And they know that. Yes, you are correct. They know that they are not going to make much headway with people taking their position. The problem is, as you stated it. They've locked themselves in. They've locked themselves into this position, and they're not going to figure their way out of it until they cut themselves loose. In fact, what I'm going to say it on your show, a scoop. When I go down to Springfield in January, I'm going to ask to meet with uh, with Tony McCombie and Curran, the Senate Minority Leader and the House Minority Leader, and say, Personal PAC is a bipartisan organization. We have supported tons of pro-choice Republicans. I can rattle them all off, not all of them, but Rosemary Mulligan, Beth Colson, Sid Mathias, Tom Cross, Pat Linder. I can I can roll off the top of my tongue 15 to 20 pro-choice Republicans that we have supported over the years. And if they want to get serious, then they need to work with us to recruit pro-choice Republicans and support them. And you know that Bruce Rauner, I had so much fun with him. But the one thing that he did, which really showed his true colors, when Skillicorn was running for, there was an open Republican seat, and I don't know why, but Skillicorn was one of four right-wing men that were running. And there was a pro-choice woman running for that 66th House seat in the primary. And instead of the Rauners endorsing the pro-choice Republican woman, that 
allegedly matched up with their point of view and where the where the party needed to go. What they did is they endorsed Skillicorn, who was the most right wing of all of them. And then look what happened. They lost the seat to Democrat pro-choice leader Suzanne Ness. And then she won re-election with 54% in this solidly Republican district just two years ago. So that right there, that tells you everything. Yeah. All right. Uh, I I realize I've been negligent uh, to your listeners. I just was working from the assumption that everybody listening to this conversation uh, knows uh, who Terry is. He's been on the show so often uh, and knows his background. So uh, just in case there's some rookie listeners out there, let me just be brief here. Terry Cosgrove uh, is the president of Personal PAC, which is the leading pro-choice PAC in the state of Illinois. They're dedicated to electing uh, pro-choice legislators, state senators, uh, governors, statewide officials, okay? This is his issue. He's been on the front lines of this issue since the ni- 1990, I want to say. Uh, and uh, as such, as Terry says, in this is their issue. So they're not going to talk about uh, a candidate's position on, say, uh, the minimum wage uh, or environment or said this is their issue. And as such, I can remember, yes, you ran through the state legislators uh, that you've supported. Jim Edgar, I'm thinking statewide officials in the old that Jim Edgar, Edgar, George Ryan, I believe, Jim Thompson, who was actually one of the most pro-choice politicians in the state of Illinois. He vetoed so many insane- of 34 anti-abortion bills he vetoed in his term as governor. 34 of 34. Every single bill and his veto messages were the most strongly worded pro-choice messages that you could ever imagine or write. And I have them in case anyone's interested. So the Republican Party in Illinois used to be, I I mean, I just say, I'm going to call it liberal on this issue. Bruce Rauner, who I was opposed in every single (laughs) possible way, every step of the way, uh, I thought he was the worst governor we've ever had. But Bruce Rauner was pro-choice. 100%. 100% pro-choice. Pro-choice and in the end, he had to be He had to be lobbied a little, but he got there. He got there. See, here's, here's where the Republicans failed, Terry, and I want your response to this. Bruce Rauner, when he ran uh, for governor in 2014, he and his wife, made a message to the the voters of Illinois. We will be pro-choice. And when push came to shove, his knees were knocking and he tried to get out of it. And you made that an issue. And this is hardball politics, ladies and gentlemen, on the abortion issue played by Democrats. I know a lot of my Democrats get, my little MSNBC Democrats get a little squishy at the knees when they think of hardball politics. Oh, Ben, can we all get along? Bipartisan maps. You want to win, you got to play hardball. And Terry Cosgrove put Bruce Rauner in a predicament uh, where he said, you either sign this bill or we're going to raise holy hell because you're breaking your promise. He signed the bill, and the next thing you know, Jeannie Ives is running uh, against him in the Republican primary uh, as because he was too liberal on abortion. I've always believed 
that Bruce Rauner, instead of vacillating, instead of knees knockings, should have stood up to Jeannie Ives early on and said, you knew who I was when I ran in 2014. You supported me. I'm not changing. This is who I am. You don't like it. I'll see you in the primary. That's my view. Your thoughts. Yeah, well, I think it had he had he not dragged out House Bill 40 for six months and signed it the day it came to his desk, by the time the primary rolled around, it would have been a dead issue. I mean, not a dead issue, but but the timing was was stupid in the way he handled it. They should have just he should have just signed the bill quietly, said this is what I believe, and moved on. But instead, he did it right before in a political season, and he could have he could have handled it differently. And I bet he would have defeated her more handily in uh, in the primary than he did, and then he wouldn't have had the trouble that he had on his hands. But they chose to do it their way, and you know you and. He signed the bill. We can't argue with success, I guess. So, so when you look at the lessons uh, from the Republicans might take from Rauner, look at the lessons that they're not heeding from this last election. What is sort of your general view of politics moving forward in the United States? and and after the midterms where the Democrats did better than expected, are you optimistic or pessimistic for the Democrats going forward? I've never been more optimistic, and I'll tell you why. Um, the the people who t- turned out in the election, young people, um, and uh, and and people who supported democracy, people that didn't buy. The, oh, by the way, the headline today. You should have read the headline. The gas prices are now lower than they are um, before the uh, before Russia invaded uh, Ukraine. They're at the lowest. Uh, I just saw a headline came up right before. Um, I got on the show. So didn't buy the whole thing about the gas prices and that, um, and they didn't want to sacrifice their, uh, you know, their democracy for, uh, to election deniers, uh, because inflation is, is at an uncomfortable level. And I say that seriously, it is, I know it's uncomfortable and, and dire for a lot of people, but people weren't willing to give up their freedom and their democracy for it. So I think that's a really good sign. But in terms of the pro-choice issue, why I think it, why I'm so optimistic is because for since Roe v. Wade um, was decided, the the anti-choice, the right wing anti-choice leaders, the right wingers have gotten away with one lie after after another, with and in the meet and in the process hiding their real agenda. And the press never covered their real agenda. They didn't want to go by it. So what they fed the public and they fed the press is all we want is waiting periods so that women have time to think um, before they have an abortion because it's a a medical um, uh, situation that they're putting themselves in. Um, we just want to make sure that parents know that their um, that their minors are having an abortion. We just want women to be read all the um, misinformation about pregnancy and abortion, such as if you have an abortion, you'll get breast cancer and you'll never get pregnant again. That's all we want. We just that's that's all we want to do. We just want to force women to view ultrasound so they can make an informed decision. So one lie after another. When those of us who are working in the pro-choice movement went to their websites and followed them. And we knew that they all, all they ever wanted to do was overturn Roe v. Wade. That was just the beginning. And they wanted to make all abortions under all circumstances for all women illegal for all time. And as a result of that, they don't care that 
a woman who's miscarrying shows up in a hospital emergency room and she will die there because she can't get the care because managing a miscarriage and an abortion is the exact same medical procedure. They don't care that a woman who shows up to a hospital room um, near death from an ectopic pregnancy or organ failure. They don't care that a 10 year old um, young girl that's raped in Ohio and has to go to Indiana to get an abortion and now the doctor that performed it. So what I'm getting to here, Ben, is their agenda is in full focus for the American public. And I couldn't be more optimistic about when the American voters look at what the position is of the pro-choice side. We believe it's a private personal decision between a woman and her doctor and not government. And they look at their side of the equation, which says we want birth control to be illegal, we want abortion to be illegal, we want IVF to be illegal, and we don't care who dies as a result of these laws, be damned, we're going to push them through anyways. So that's why I'm optimistic, because people are repulsed by what they believe. And it's about time that the press and the public came to understand what the anti-choice movement is about. And I could not be more hopeful as a result of that. Well, generally, I'm very pessimistic uh, about uh, the, anybody I'm in favor of because I work for the assumption, uh, like that old Groucho, Groucho Marx jokes, I wouldn't belong to any club that would accept anyone like me as a member. Uh, so if I'm for something, they're going to lose. Well, I wouldn't belong to that club either, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> he believes in the Groucho Marx jokes for me. Uh, <laughs> but there's some, thing, there's some uh, trends that I've seen of late that that really have made me think, you know, Terry may be on to something here. I'll give you one that I just saw yesterday uh, and it's on my mind. So the Cook County clerk uh, just released uh, township by township voting results, the final voting results for the midterm elections. Uh, so it's Cook County, so you can look at Evanston. If you want to see how Evanston voted, you can look up New Trier, like Wilmette and Winnetka. So I'm looking at me, you know, me, I'm a political junkie, uh, Terry. I'm going through every single township and New Trier, which is a well-to-do suburbs of like two or three New Trier townships. I think it's like Wilmette, Winnetka, Kenilworth, and portions of Glencoe, just mm -hmm. north of Evanston. Yeah. Um, there were two issues, right, back to back. One was, are you going to vote for J.B. Pritzker to reelect him? A very pro-choice, no doubt about a pro-choice guy. Two, are you going to vote for the collective bargaining rights amendment? All right. Now, I'm a big union guy, as you know, my show is sponsored by unions. They came to my aid when I got fired. I love unions. I push for that amendment very much. And obviously, I don't have a lot of listeners in New Trier. That amendment, I believe, only got 49% of the vote uh, in New Trier, something like that. I think that's my memory. I'm doing it for memory. J.B. Pritzker, on the other hand, got over 70% of the vote. That J.B. Pritzker supports collective bargaining rights as much as he supports uh, abortion rights. He's a big union supporter, supported by unions. He could not get the people of New Trier Township to vote for the collective bargaining rights. For, I don't even think they got a majority, but over 70% of New Trier voted for J.B. Pritzker. I'm telling you, Terry, I believe abortion rights is, at, if not at the top, very close to why. Well, Go ahead. And and I'll tell you what, one of the things that the that hasn't been covered widely that I 
that I suspect that people aren't picking up on is that abortion is a kitchen table economic issue. And you know why it is? Because when a parent or parents are sitting around a kitchen table, they have to figure out how am I going to feed, clothe, educate, provide health care, and protect the people sitting around this table, the people that are sitting there now and the people who might sit there in the future. And I think that of all the issues around choice, the anxiety of unplanned pregnancy is about people caring whether and how they can bring a child into this world. And I think that is such an undercurrent, underreported, under-discussed issue. And when you when we live in a country where we don't have where we don't have um, guaranteed um, family leave, paid family leave, we don't have adequate childcare, we don't have all of this, the economic structure, the anxiety around around unplanned pregnancy, around abortion is really and I think it and that that's what people are thinking in so many cases when they're you know there are there are people that just don't want to have children i get that but for the average person who's trying to figure out this issue and and internalize it for themselves the economic issue is really important and so i think that there that's that's one of the drivers of this and the other reason why i'm really confident um, that the future is going to be so much brighter now that the anti-choicers have shown us what their agenda is. People are going to be so repelled by it from a civil liberty standpoint, from a personal standpoint, from an economic standpoint, particularly young women. I mean, Ben, you know, I've done polls in, you know, every time we've had a bill in Springfield, I've hired PPP. And in every single poll, 18 to 29 year olds 86% of them are pro-choice. And this is the next generation. This is the generation that's coming forward. This is the generation that's now going to have to fight for reproductive rights. And, you know, people get it. People, and, you know, it's been frustrating to me for so long because people come to me and say, Terry, I don't understand why we don't win because 70 some percent of people in the state or in the country in New Trier Township are pro-choice. Why is it we keep losing? And I say, because we lose elections because pro-choice people don't come out and support pro-choice candidates in the way that they should. And so I think now we've reached the point where whether it's a referendum, hello, Kansas, Michigan, Vermont, California, uh, Kentucky, where they struck down and the state of Kentucky struck down an anti-choice amendment to their constitution. I mean, it, I mean, the public is becoming very aware of which side they're on on this issue and when they need to stand up for it. So that's what gives me so much hope. All right, Terry, we got to think strategically. We got to anticipate the Republican counterattack. Most Democratic strategists are not like you. All right. They, they, they're not thinking strategically. If you want any proof of that, take a look at New York where uh, they lost four congressional seats because they don't understand map making. They flunked 101 of map making. The dumbest collection of Democrats in, this, in the United States of America are New York Democrats. So we'll get into that later, all right? But you know the Republicans are gonna try to figure out a counter strategy uh, on abortion. They don't have the guts to tell MAGA that they can't embrace this uh, anti-abortion 
uh, approach that MAGA is insisting they embrace. They don't have the guts there. So I, I view it this way. They're going to try to be like uh, Dara Bailey in this election election where he said, ah, I'm not, it doesn't matter. Their law is the law. I'm not going to change the law. Or they're going to be like uh, Kathleen Salvi in the debate against Tammy Duckworth. I don't know if you saw this, where she was an extremist running for senator against Tammy Duckworth. She was saying, Tammy Duckworth wants people wants the women to have abortions when they're nine months pregnant. It's like, yeah. I, even Chicago Democrats, even Chicago voters, I always make fun of them, we're too smart to believe that. So where do you think the Republicans are gonna go? You know, I think uh, that you know, they're, they don't have anything else other than what they've been saying all along is that, is that, that they, they think, um, you know, what we're in, so they're trying to allege what pro-choice people are in favor of. And they've been doing it for years and it's falling on deaf ears, which is, you're right. Um, they want abortion up until eight or nine months. They don't care, um, which, you know, I'm not even going to bother disputing it because it's just not true. There's there's no, you know, there's no validity to it. Um, and they're going to talk about um, how there have to be reasonable restrictions on it. And But it's not going to go anywhere because our my Democratic friends, I think, have learned the lesson of this issue is when you're on defense, you're losing. And when you're on offense, you're winning. And as I told the candidates that I worked for, all you have to do is tell voters what their position is. Don't worry about what they're saying about what your position is. Talk about what their position is. And that's what's going to get through because voters know that half the stuff that they're saying is just not true. It just isn't true. And, and to talk about it, you're arguing on their on their platform then. And so what the challenge Democrats have to do is not to take any of that bait and just talk about how extreme they are and what they wanna do. And it is allowing uh, women who are experiencing miscarriages to die in hospital emergency rooms or against abortion in cases of rape and incest. And uh, they're against IVF and, and, um, and the most commonly used forms of birth control. And they need to keep hammering away on that. And what I have found, and I think I mentioned this to you last night then, if, pro-choice candidates come out of the box swinging, the, the right-wingers run in the other direction because they sense that it's a losing issue and then they never want to talk about it again. I mean, people were so worried in Springfield last fall when we passed the PNA repeal that it was going to be such an issue in the campaign. I talked, I asked every single state rep and senator that came within the sound of my voice, asked them, so what are you hearing in your district around PNA repeal? And they go, nothing, Terry, not a thing. And because they were hammering their, their, their Republican opponents so badly, and I was in the mail and on the, you know, on the um, on TV and on social media about how crazy they the right wingers were, they didn't want to talk about abortion. They ran in the other direction. So my my suggestion to Democrats is don't wait around to be attacked. Go after them instantly out of the box. That's what I've done at Personal Pack for 33 years. By the way, 1989, 19, not 1990, like you said. But uh, but th th that's what Democrats need to do. Don't sit around and wait for them to try to define you. Once you define them from the beginning, you're going to win on this issue. There, that's all there is to it. A PNA for our listeners, Parental Notification Act, yeah. and that uh, is a law that was passed under the Pritzker administration uh, that stripped away the law, the requirement uh, that parents be notified if their children uh, were going to have an abortion. And Terry and I have been talking about that one for a long time. 
and yes, that's uh, I, Dara Bailey. That that was the one, and that was the, that's what he threw. That was the bone he threw to the anti-abortion. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah. uh, and nobody believed him. Everybody believed. Uh, and the reality is, no, Japan's copy. You 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 told me last night. We were talking last night. I saw Terry at the Reader fundraiser. We, you were telling me last night about the DuPage County was it the County Board Presidency race? Yeah. Where uh, this the, the this is where this uh, played out. This theme played out in that in that election. Tell folks yeah. about that. Yeah. Well, the um, I forget his name, but it was a guy running against Deb Conroy for uh, DuPage County Board Chair. And he came out and tried to dance around and say, well, he was really a moderate Republican. And he was, um, I don't know if he actually came out and said he was pro-choice, but I think he came out and said, he, oh, he wouldn't change any of the laws and he wasn't one of them, meaning <laughs> the right-wingers. And when I found out that um, he did this by a lot of nervous Democrats, I said, well, all, all we have to do is let Jeannie Ives know that what he said and and of course they were demonstrating at his events i didn't mention that last night so what happened is he got into a um he got into a shouting match and a pissing match with the right wingers and he ended up losing and um because all of their candidates are held hostage to the crazy and that's all there is to it and you know uh, john curran and tony mccombie are gonna learn the same thing unless they decide to put their foot down. But but the reality is both of them are anti-choice. So it's not like, it, you know, it's not like when you have Tom Cross as 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 minority leader, Tom was pro-choice. So he could support people like Rosemary Mulligan and Beth Colson and Mark Bobian um, because he felt that the party, that the candidates need to represent their districts and that's what he let them do. And those people all won re-election time after time after time until they retired. And then a winger took over and they ended up losing. You know, so there you go. All right, we'll close uh, with one of my favorite topics with uh, Terry. This is something we share. Uh, <laughs> <What>? <laughs> our, our just disbelief, I guess, is the word, at the cluelessness of Dems Good government Dems. I have that in quotes because uh, I've never heard any of them speak out against tips. Uh, I've never heard any of them speak out against tips. But whatever, they're good government. They believe in bipartisan uh, remapping. I wrote a column a, a week ago or so after the elections, uh, pointing out that in Illinois, uh, Chris Welch, like shout out Chris Welch, he will never acknowledge this shout out because he does. He wants to pretend as though he did it gerrymander, but he gerrymandered the hell out of that map he did to republicans what republicans sure those districts were diverse you stop it ben <laughs> uh chris welch you're the master game. and so the dems we, the state of illinois lost a congressional seat overall ladies and gentlemen but the dems thanks to that map won have more democratic congressmen in illinois than we had before the election. Brilliant map making, Chris Welch, and feel free to disagree with me, deny everything, don't accept the accolades. In, in, in contrast, as I said earlier, New York. the New York Dems, the biggest collection of buffoons I've ever seen. How these people can be allowed to run a party. New York is a democratic state. They lost four seats. Terry Cotts, 
And they lost the majority because of it. That's the other thing. I think it would, is McCarthy have three or four or five seats? I forget what the, well, some of there's one or two that aren't settled, but no, it's, no, it is ridiculous. But I will say, I mean, I want to be clear here for all the good government people listening to your show, if there are any, um, though there's a lot. Oh, there aren't? Okay. So, I mean, we're not against fair maps. What we're against is the unfair process. So I agree with Mike Quigley, Jan Tchaikovsky, that if all 50 states do it at the exact same time and follow the same rules, um, then we don't have any problems with it. The problem is, and I've told the, the good government people here, if you're so in favor of, of fair maps, go to, go to Ohio and do it. Go to Missouri, go to Indiana, go to Wisconsin. You know, there's so many states that could use your input. Um, and when you do that, then come back and let's talk about Illinois. But until until it happens, and you know, Ben, it's going to allow me to get my favorite line that I think I've used on every one of your shows. If you're going to expect me to show up to a knife fight with my leg in a cast, my arm tied behind my back with a toothpick, I'm going to tell you right now I'm going to lose. There's just there's no winning that. So if you're not going to show up on a fair field and play by fair rules, then then, then you're not going to get anywhere. And that's where I think the good government people just don't get it right, that you um, that it, the rules have to be fair. And if the other side isn't going to play by fair rules, then you're going to lose if you also don't play your game at the best you can. Absolutely. And, all that. and that's what I believe. I'm with you 100%. I'll add a few more states to that list that good government people. Oh, I could add a lot. Uh, uh, Florida, Texas, yeah. oh, yes. Ohio, Pennsylvania, oh, Carolina. <laughs> Go, good government people. Yeah, go, go. go. I, I back on your success. That's what I want to hear. I, I would like a, an annual report on how it's going. You know, <laughs> you know what? Now they have ten years to do it. They could, they could go there right now. They could move to Florida and Ohio. Just take on two states and uh, and then report back before the twenty thirty census on how it went on yeah. the redistricting. Yeah, how it went. Good luck. And Texas. Don't forget Texas. Oh, my Texas. God. Texas. What a joke. Uh, good government people. You, you're you kind of funny in a, in a cute sort of way, uh, as long as no one pays attention to you. All right. Uh, Terry Cosgrove, it's a blast talking to you, as always. Yes. And ladies and gentlemen, uh, Terry is stepping down from personal pack, but uh, we cut a deal. He's still going to come on the show, and he's going to be even more off <laughs> Like he's more out of control because he'll he won't have to play any games, okay? He'll be free to say whatever he wants. Uh, we'll probably spend 10 shows. Right, I don't do that now. 2016 right. Democratic primary. <laughs> uh, for the record, I believe Terry was a Hillary Clinton supporter and I was a always will be and still am. Biggest mistake the country made. Biggest mistake. Uh, I can make an argument that a bigger mistake was George W. Bush over Al Gore in 2000. But let's have that discussion uh, in in another show. Next show. And I could agree with you. That was a bad. uh, That that was was pretty poor. Uh, I'll even go far. Richard Nixon over George McGovern in 72. The list goes on and on. All right, uh, Terry, thank you very much. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Richard Nixon signed the EPA. He signed the bill that authorized Planned Parenthood. 
Um, he opened up the door to China. I mean, I, Nixon was, I'm not defending him in Watergate, obviously, but no, Nixon is not in the same, uh, in the same category as Bush and, and Trump and Ronald Reagan. No, no, I won't let you do that, Ben. Okay, so uh, longtime listeners of this podcast know I have a policy. I always give my guest the last word as a sign of appreciation for my guests coming on the show. So I'm going to bite my tongue, okay, yeah. and allow Terry, gracefully, I might add, allow Terry the last word on Richard Nixon for this show. You're a gentleman. Okay? For this show. We'll okay. have to pick up Nixon uh, at a future show as well. All right, uh, Terry, thank you very much. Thank and you. congratulations on a great election. Uh, midterm election. Well, we didn't even talk about it. We didn't even talk about two Supreme Court seats. Uh -oh. Okay. See, Is I that... didn't send you the agenda. That's why. <laughs> oh, well, too bad. Next time, I'll get the okay. agenda. Take care. All right. That's Terry Cosgrove. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody.